0: You're listening to Baltimoreans: Baseball Things Considered. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid.
1: Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? It's uh, off-season time here it's at Hootenanny Studios. The most wonderful <laughs> time of the year. It's funny like uh, for many years the Baltimore Orioles uh, best times I think were the winter meetings. <laughs> because Oh, the winter meeting. I thought you were going to say their best times were the off season. <laughs> yeah, 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 the off season. But the hope that the off season brings with it, the 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 wait until next year. I don't uh, I don't remember a lot of hope. <laughs> no,
0: I don't remember any hope at all, Whoa. Smith.
1: <laughs> What well, what if this was the year that our fifteenth consecutive number one draft pick turned out to be useful? That I don't call that hope. What do you call that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, we are uh, we are on the the doorstep of the hot stove here in uh, on December seventh. Indeed, a day that will live in infamy.
0: Winter meetings spinning up. Uh, I, also, was about, I was Pearl Harbor Day.
1: Oh, that's what would live in infamy, right? Yeah. Obviously not very infamous. <laughs> how, did I, how did I miss that <laughs> reference? I think I have to turn in my American card. I think so. I think so. Um, here we are, Baltimore on episode 131 of this fair podcast. Now, I have some numbers to toss at you, Sam.
0: Okay. You know I will drop them.
1: 31% in this case, the percentage that Donald Trump is currently polling in likely Republican caucus goers in Iowa. Oh, that boy. leads the field by 11 points. Oh boy. A hundred percent. That's the percentage of Muslims that Donald Trump does not think should enter this country. <sighs> when you add those two together, you get this week's episode number, which um, frankly is the most, The if, if anyone needs to turn in their American card. <laughs> I think the current frontrunner for the Republican nomination is just right there. I'm gonna go ahead and have that the whole slate tournament, <laughs> if you don't mind. No, that's
0: fine by the way. I will say, by way of triangulation, I'm a Ted Cruz man. Oh yeah, I'm a Cruzman. You're a Cruzman because <laughs> go on. There is another poll that came out today but that I'd had him ahead, Cruz in first place. Yeah, and I'm i I'm a lesser, a two evil sort of fella uh, when it comes to the Republican slate of nominees. Uh, And I say that because Ted Cruz released a video, and I don't know (laughs) how many of our Baltimoreans faithful have viewed this video, but I would recommend it to everyone. This is what happened in a video that Ted Cruz made in a country with a gun violence epidemic that has seen more people die from gun violence that died on September 11th, 2001. Sure. Okay? He made a video of himself wrapping a strip of uncooked bacon around the barrel of an automatic machine gun. Yes. Firing this machine gun at a target. Yes. I would like to add that the target was shaped like a human person. Yeah. Then removed the now heavily cooked bacon from the barrel of the automatic machine gun. Sure. And put it in his mouth. <laughs> and said, hmm that's that good machine gun bacon. Now, call me naive. Yes. And Donald Trump is crazy. But I tend to think Donald Trump is crazy like a fox. And it seems pretty clear to me that he only said this unbelievably abhorrent thing about barring Muslims from entering the United States today because there was a poll that came out with Ted Cruz on top. Yeah. I think Ted Cruz is just just plain crazy. Like, okay. Like just good old fashioned... Nutter butters. <laughs> so, remind me why that puts him ahead of your and in your internal Sam Dingman only polling? Because are you ready for? Well, there's a political reason, but nobody wants to hear that. I'm going to give you the no, baseball. No, no, reason. no, give me the baseball. And this is going to be the worst Baltimore on segue of all time. Great. So everybody get excited.
1: Can we? Can we also just pause and say at some point on this program, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, uh, promise this. To you, the fair listeners, we're going to come up with the baseball team equivalent of every candidate currently in the field. <laughs> we are, yes, on this episode. Uh, I don't know about on this episode. At some okay. point, in the at future. some point, all right, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to turn this off and take some notes.
1: <laughs> Hillary Clinton is definitively the New York Yankees.
0: Mmm. <laughs> no one likes it.
1: Mmm. <laughs> tell it me, tell true. me, I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> I can't. I can't do that. I can't tell you that you're
1: wrong. No, no, you can't. You can't.
0: I I guess that makes Bernie Sanders the Tampa Bay Rays.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe, dare I say it, the Kansas City Royals.
0: Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. nah, Kansas Kansas City Royals is, is like a, that's like a secretly Republican organization.
1: <laughs> that's true.
0: And I don't just say that because the guy who owns the team is is mixed Walmart. up in that whole Walmart shenanigans. <laughs> mixed up former CEO <laughs> got a little got a little Walmart on him. Mixed up in the Walmart shenanigans. Here is why... Okay. Here is why I am excited about uh, Ted Cruz for baseball reasons. Okay. Because it is going to be, if Ted Cruz is the nominee, which he stands a decent chance of being. It's, it's not outside the realm of possibility. Ted Cruz, hated by the Republican establishment. Fox News, media mouthpiece of the Republican establishment. Stay with me, Smith. hmm Darren O'Day's wife, employee of... Fox News, Okay, Darren O'Day, just made the decision to continue pitching in the D.C. metro area, Baltimore specifically, Okay, for the next four years. God bless. You want him to be happy. I'd like to think that Darren O'Day is a decent man, despite the fact that he's married to a Fox News reporter. (laughs) Okay. We're shading into some uncomfortable (laughs) territory, Smith, and I can see you getting nervous. (laughs) I'm just wondering how we get back to Ted Cruz here, because she should be at odds with him. Yes, but Fox News loves controversy and, uh, and shouting and mania. So what better for that than a Cruz v. Clinton campaign? Because if there's anyone that the Republican establishment hates more than Ted Cruz, it's Hillary Clinton, but not by much.
1: Yeah. Well, so here's the here's the thing.
0: Um, I think we can see how this whole situation keeps Darren O'Day happy, right? I don't have to explain it any further <laughs> I because good. I can't.
1: <laughs> um. And I think that a world in which either Ted Cruz or Donald Trump is facing off against Vladimir Putin in any kind of high level like talk, someone's going to get nuked just because we have to have a big dick contest. Right. Like that, that. That none of these people seem even close to sane. No,
0: no, certainly not. And and I would like to share uh, a personal memory of Ben Carson who is a product of the fair city of Baltimore. Oh, is he? Yeah. He was the he was the head of neurosurgery at Johns Goddamn Hopkins. <laughs> and may I say, a source of great inspiration to a young Sam Dingman. Oh, when my school went to Johns Hopkins for a field trip one day shortly after Gifted Hands, we went and we we heard him give a lecture about all of the surgeries that he had performed separating the conjoined twins but also Horrifying image that has been burned in my brain of a basketball-sized brain tumor on a newborn baby that he successfully removed and the child survived. I mean, truly, I'll say it, truly heroic stuff. Acts of medical heroism uh, that gave me a really, really huge amount of respect for science as a young person. Oof. (laughs) Did you hear what I said? Yeah. (laughs) A respect for science from someone who thinks that we should run the tax code off of the biblical tithing system. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> and and who, uh. who went on to become a mouthpiece for a highly sketchy herbal supplement
1: company. Yeah, and doesn't think that global warming has any sort of effect.
0: I mean, it's... It's getting weird out there, Smith.
1: It is. Which is is
0: about as good a segue to the winter meetings as I think (laughs) we could manage. That's actually a good segue. That's true. On a show that is about politics and baseball.
1: (laughs) Great. I'm happy with it. So uh, going into this offseason, we were told that there was a good chance that the Baltimore Orioles would go 0-6 in retaining free agents. Um, Since that point, Matthew Wieters has come back on a one-year, $16 million contract. We just got news before pressing play this evening that Darren is going to be rejoining the team for four years. And it seems, knock on wood, but it seems like Peter Angelos is fairly serious about this whole Uh, coming down from the warehouse tower and uh, really putting some some serious time and effort into re-signing Chris Davis. Yeah, and I have to say, I think
0: being willing to go to a fourth year on a relief pitcher, which is only the second time we've ever gone to a fourth year on a free agent contract for a pitcher ever, I think that's a pretty solid indication that we're serious about doing what it seems like it's going to take to bring Chris Davis back.
1: Are you at all worried that we're going to re-sign as a huge victory all of the players that were in our lineup last year, forgetting that our lineup last year wasn't very good? (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I'm going to
0: say this. That's not a concern for me because... It's true that our lineup last year was not spectacular, but it's also true that our lineup last year was not significantly worse than it was in 2014. As we, have, as we have discussed at some length on the show, the only difference statistically between the 2014 Orioles and the 2015 Orioles is about a run and a half of starting pitcher earned run average.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, so into the winter meetings, we are, uh, we're looking at probably a – uh, a big chunk of change to Chris Davis. We've already made the Mark Trumbo move, and which my, I don't hate. W- yeah, but see, this is weird. Sam and I are both in this like sort of, I would say, probably deeply concerning process of talking ourselves into Mark Trumbo. Well, so you 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 will not have heard on this podcast the the uh, seventy two hours of of. Mild disgust that his signing first <laughs> elicited from us, but we've processed. We've come together.
0: Well, I would like to issue a caveat to what you've just said, so that you don't misrepresent my views, you okay. monster. Okay, I am. I don't hate the Mark Trumbo signing if Mark Trumbo is usually the designated hitter, mm-hmm. takes some innings from Chris Davis at first base, and plays a little bit of left field if necessary. Okay, that is a solid use of a Mark Trumbo.
1: Well, you've also buried the lead of that deal, which is that we also got um, C.J.
0: Riefenhauser as the the player to be named later. The (laughs) Reef.
1: Reports has raved about C.J., calling him uh, quite ordinary. (laughs) And um, baseball prospectus gushed that his 6.3 lifetime earned run average was uninspiring and that he's basically a quadruple-A pitcher. Sure. So that's exciting. Sure.
0: But, you know, <laughs> I think I think uh suggesting that CJ R- R- Riefenhauser, well, uh which is a preview of our nickname episode <laughs> I was for 2016. Say, I'm very excited about the team. <laughs> obviously. But the idea that he is going to pitch a lot of meaningful innings for us mm. is about as likely as I just saw did you see this morning my favorite my one of my favorite off-season traditions the yearly speculation floated by an orioles beat writer that the orioles might consider moving brian mattis back to the rotation love it <laughs> happens every year <laughs> and then they get to spring training and are like this is a terrible idea it you has failed bitch. so many times uh so i think you know in the land of speculation uh, all men are kings
1: Okay. Um, I'm gonna throw some names at you. Give me a give me a, a a a a a rating of one to five. Excited about our potential to sign them on the on the team. Okay. Cliff Lee, four. Um, Henderson Alvarez, three point two. Oh, that's higher than I thought. Um, Tony Sipp. uh, two point one. I mean, it already happened. But Vance Worley. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Uh Vance Pants? Yeah. The the Warlinator
1: <laughs> More previews of <laughs> upcoming failures today. Currently named The Whirly
0: Bird. Um sure, Vance Worley. I don't know. I I, I mean, look, Migo Gonzalez has reached his ceiling and is currently perched on a chimney. Yeah. <laughs> And is about to fall down it. Yeah. Merry Christmas to all. <laughs> I think it's, it's very likely that we're going to need someone to to <coughs> make four to six patch, inconsequential
1: starts. Patch the back end of the rotation.
0: This year. And sure, I'll take Vance Worley. Why not? If we break camp with Vance Worley in the rotation, <laughs> you will hear some concerns on the Baltimore Ons waves.
1: Yep. Yep. Okay. But you're, you're all in on the Cliff Lee signing.
0: I don't. I don't know why you don't take a flyer on on Cliff Lee. Oh, I do on a one year deal. Sure, you know, um, I I think it's it's Cliff Lee's uh, specialty has never been massive velocity. It's always been pinpoint control and not walking people. Yep, and that so <laughs> r- rare fucking sightsmith. Down around <laughs> we, Baltimore Way. We have not seen a ton of that <laughs> as a strategy. I mean, good Lord, man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I don't hate that. Okay. I don't hate that at all. Uh, here's the, here's the, the move that I would like to throw at you, that I would like to see the Orioles make, that if they made would mean that I would put away my Jason Hayward dreams and would uh, cause me to tearfully but reverentially bid Chris Davis a fond farewell. Okay. You call up the front office down there in Hotlanta. Uh Uh-huh. And you say to those guys, I'm going to give you Dylan Bundy. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to give you... Now, don't freak out, everybody. Jonathan Scope. Ooh. And I am also going to give you... Maybe a Michael Givens, somebody okay. like that. In return, you're going to send us Freddie Freeman, <laughs> Shelby Miller. Whoa! And Nick Markakis. Jesus. This is a combination of salary dump for mm-hmm. the Braves mm-hmm. and also some, some fair value. Now, that's a hell of a trade. That's a hell of a trade. I don't think the Braves are going to bite on that one. You don't think they want to? No. The Braves need to get younger. They need to uh, completely revamp their pitching staff. Freddie Freeman
1: is on a very team-friendly contract, though. He's on a very team-friendly contract, and he's a young man. I don't know why you'd move that. I think you'd rather build around that. Because their
0: whole they have been shedding payroll like crazy. <coughs> they traded Andrelton Simmons. It's been widely speculated that, that Freeman is on the block. They got rid of Kimbrel. I mean, this is clearly a team that is trying to avoid... Having too many significant commitments going forward when they are not in a position to win.
1: Now I heard that Kimbrel was—I mean that uh, Freddie Freeman was their untouchable. Sure, sure, but you have to
0: say Freddie Freeman's your untouchable because it drives his value up. Okay. In the trade market. Okay. If you
1: are the Braves. I, I love the deal. I love the deal. Let me just say, I'm 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 going to go ahead and give it the Alan Smith green light. Great. If we can get it, I'm in. Okay. Good. I especially like the return of Nick Markakis.
0: So. That leads me to a talking point that I wanted to raise with you. Okay. Can you articulate a reason for me that I think most people in the baseball press would say that Nick Marcakis is a significantly less valuable baseball player than Ben Zobrist? Can you articulate that reasoning for me? Let me run it down for you.
1: I, I, think, I think that the, the reasoning is that Ben Zobrist can play anywhere on the field. Okay. I don't think that Ben Zobrist gives you a lot more with his bat, um, but I think that you can plug Zobrist in almost anywhere and have him be above average as a defender.
0: I will agree that that is one talking point in Ben Zobrist's favor. Okay. However, to me, the argument breaks down after that. And so it's confusing to me to see all these headlines about the idea that Ben Zobrist is probably going to get four years and $60 million at the age of 35, and everybody looks at the Markakis contract in Atlanta as an albatross. I think that's insane. These are two guys with very similar skill sets, impeccable defense, very high batting average, higher in Markakis's case, very high on base percentage, little bit of power when he needed. I know Markakis didn't hit any home runs last year. Shut up. I think it was a one-off. <laughs> Uh, also, Zobrist is not—we're not talking about light tower power out of Zobrist. He had 127 home run year, and it's been pretty dinky since then. Everybody just calm down for a second. <laughs> okay? No speed on either side.
1: No. I mean, I think, I think you are going to get uh, five—between seven and 15 more home runs out of Zobrist on the average year. Um, I think, you know, Zobrist caps at 22— in my projection for him, and Marquecas is going to be lucky if he squeaks out 13. Uh, but I do agree that that his particular power outage last year is not like a, a, a long-term thing.
0: Yeah. And I also don't think that... I, I think you would gladly trade the power that Marquecas used to have for the doubles that he still hits.
1: And... I just want somebody on the Orioles to not be one, two, three strikes, you're out.
0: <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. So... I don't know. There was a little bit of speculation earlier in the offseason about the idea of Marquise possibly coming back to Baltimore via trade, and I caught a little hint of apathy in <laughs> Orioles uh, Orioles fan social media land. Mm-hmm. And I reject and denounce that. I don't know how I don't I, I think it was a mistake to let Marquise go. I th- this is stronger than I have uh, felt about this in the past, but I'd like to say it now. I think it was a mistake to let Marquecas go. I think it was a product of Duquette being asleep at the switch during the whole, is he or isn't he going to become president of the Blue Jays kerfuffle? <laughs> and I think over over the long term, it's one of the more detrimental uh, effects of that asleep at the switch period.
1: Do you... Uh, would You would prefer the move you just sketched in which we... Give, uh, give away a bunch of things and get back Freddie Freeman and Nick Marquegas and apparently also Shelby Miller, sure, um, <clears throat> to a straight-up re-signing of Chris Davis and the acquisition of Jason Hayward.
0: No. That would be incredible. Yeah. That it, but now we're talking about Los Angeles Dodgers money being spent. And while I think uh, – because we're talking about probably between those two contracts at least $350 million dollars. And Mm -hmm. probably over 17 years. Now, both of those moves make the team very good for a long time, particularly Jason Hayward. God damn it. (laughs) Please sign Jason Hayward. Pay him whatever it costs. There's no way you don't get good value out of that deal. However, I don't think... I think Peter Angelos is maybe coming around to the idea of a seven-year, $160 million contract... For a franchise cornerstone guy like Chris Davis, I don't think he's coming around to... uh, Two of those contracts. Two of those contracts. I could be wrong. Yeah. We shall see. But I I don't... It doesn't really seem like like he's there yet.
1: For my money, were it to be my money that we were spending, uh, I think we need to do more to get somebody who can throw the damn ball. Because... Uh, and, and given Not that Shelby Miller, <laughs> <laughs> well, given that David Price is apparently worth like $34 million a year and Zach Grinke is apparently worth $34 million a year. I don't know who that person is. I mean, al- already a lot of the sort of exciting arms are off the table. And I actually think the Giants sneaky good signing of, um, uh, for only an, a, a paltry $95 million, I believe. Um, Not even. I think it was ninety. Ninety million Pfft. chump change. But uh, the uh, entire process appears to be like so inflated on the pitching side that I don't know who we go out and make a splash to get.
0: I think you got to do it through trade. Yeah, I, th- I think you have to do it through trade. Shelby, fucking <sighs> Miller Smith, <laughs> um, Cliff Lee. Take a flyer on Cliff Lee. I don't. I really don't hate that idea.
1: I I have been talked into the. Johan Santana-style reclamation project contracts on Henderson Alvarez. Toss a flyer at your Mike Miner. Toss a flyer at, you know, some some people who are looking for work and may not be ready to start the season but could sort of come together and give you 20 starts in the second half. Mike Leak? Still Mike available? Mike Leak. Don't um, hate any of those signings.
0: I, I, I don't hate any of those signings, and I... Dislike them less than I like the idea of giving Johnny Cueto a big fat paycheck.
1: Mm-mm, don't like that.
0: The problem is the Orioles don't really have anybody I'm really excited to trade. You, we got to trade Dylan Bundy. Okay. You'd be dealing him at the nadir of his value. But I don't feel bullish on the idea that he's going to make a rousing comeback uh, this season. I, I really don't. And I think there's still just enough prospect shimmer there for for someone to bite. Um, and maybe it ends up maybe you end up trading Harvey instead. Uh, but you got to do something. You got to do something. Yep. Here's another thing I wanted to bring up. Okay. I think it is very interesting the shift of power that we have already seen in the American League East so far this offseason. Uh-huh. And what I'm referring to there is the fact that uh, shortly after the most successful season in recent franchise history, the Blue Jays let Alex Anthopoulos walk, replaced him uh, with Ross Atkins. We're talking about the guy in Anthopolis who was the architect of the current terrifying Toronto Blue Jays. We're talking about a guy who made some really Really gutsy moves over the years that I don't think he was given enough credit for. Josh Donaldson is the most obvious one, but the Russell Martin signing uh, was the kind of aggressive. Remember that was one of the first significant free agent contracts last off season, and played a huge role in the Blue Jays' success this year.
1: He might also be the guy who let Syndergaard and Darno go to the Mets for Ari Dickey, though, right? Well, nobody's perfect, <laughs> Smith. Nobody, nobody's perfect. Okay. Just checking. Yeah. Anyway. Look, even
0: Ted Cruz has <laughs> a bad day. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think the it's clear that you, you have very interesting situations coming up with regard to contract extensions for Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion. Um, and the instability at the top of the front office in Toronto, I think, is something to keep a close eye on as they look to repeat this year because with the departure of david price and all they have done to uh, stabilize the rotation is re-sign marco estrada there is a question lingering in the air for the blue jays suddenly that wasn't
1: there before and that question who (laughs) pitching it's a good question so, it's a good question, and, and it's actually sort of surprising to me considering how much they pushed all in last year right. that they didn't make more of a move. They haven't already made more of a splash. I'm not even hearing them connected to anybody. I'm not seeing their name in rumors. Right, right. So that's one thing. Then you look at the
0: Yankees, who seem to, as much as I hate to have admitted, I'm sorry, the Clintons, uh, <laughs> seem to have come to <coughs> the the next phase of evolution into, I'm not going to say a small market team, because who are we kidding, but the Yankees are...
1: They are no longer profligate.
0: It seems like the new-look Yankee front office is, rightfully and much too late, nervous about the kinds of insane contractual outlays for which they are so infamous, and you don't even hear their name mentioned very much when we talk about the most high-profile free agents on the market, not even Jason Hayward, not even Justin Upton, not even Ioannis Cespedes. Now, that's partially because they have a very crowded outfield, but let's look at the top-shelf pitching that was available, and let's look at the fact that the Yankees' starting rotation is in tatters.
1: Although I think that they might have been in on Granke, and I think that everybody was pretty surprised by the Arizona gambit.
0: It's true, but when's the last time the Yankees got outbid? Nah, that has been a while. You can't You can't think of it. Yeah. Because there isn't a time. Yeah. So it's it seems like all of a sudden now I'm not saying the Yankees are going to be bad next year because that would be foolish to do after this year when they were somehow decent. But the I'm, I'm just talking about like kind of the shifts in narrative that yep. we're seeing, and the other part of that is the Dave Dombrowski era in Boston is already looking remarkably similar to the Dave Dombrowski era in Detroit. Now, I'm not saying Dave Dombrowski is a bad general manager because he's obviously had a track record of great success in the past. Far be it from me to impugn the man's judgment. But it's a very—for the Red Sox, who over the last few years have developed such a reputation for being— I mean, have burnished an existing reputation for relying so much on extremely analytically driven scouting of players and um, trying to build out a very well-rounded, balanced attack of a team— Dave Dombrowski has so far gone out and brought in t- two of the most high-profile pitching names in baseball. It kind of seems like just to bring those guys in.
1: I think that the, that the Red Sox— Talking about David Price and Craig Kimbrell there. I think that the Red Sox are also going to have a lot of trouble recovering from the Sandoval-Ramirez moves. Like that, those are bad signings. It has and
0: been comical watching people think, speculate that they might even be able to
1: trade Ramirez. They're not, and they're not going to get any better. I mean, those are those were bad signings, and and they're and they're circling the drain. I mean, Sandoval one year in, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sandoval, I mean, I, I he he may still have games, but he was over the hill three years ago, and then put together a playoff run that now is getting him paid. But he's not, he's not, yeah. He's not. <laughs>
0: yeah. No. Absolutely. I agree. I agree completely. And and but my point about Dombrowski, I guess, is that I think Dombrowski is a guy who will not view that mm-hmm. as an obstacle, and if needed, he will sell low on Sandoval in order to plug the hole with a big name. That's the way Dave Dombrowski runs Manages, a team. Yeah. And that is not something we have seen as much of out of the Red Sox over the last few years. It doesn't mean that the Red Sox are magically going to be much improved next year, but I think it it does represent what seems clear to be a new approach in Boston as compared to the last three or four seasons.
1: So on a scale of one to uh, destroying a dugout phone, how excited are you for the David Ortiz farewell tour? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, I have, I have mixed feelings about David Ortiz because I should hate him so much more than I do. I find him extremely amusing. I feel like for whatever reason, he doesn't victimize the Orioles in the way that, say, Alex Rodriguez does. Alex Rodriguez is always hitting three run h- runs against us David Ortiz has has hit well against us in the past but he's also embarrassed himself a number of times um, whether it's when Brian Mattis is doing the only thing Brian Mattis can do well which is strike <laughs> out David Ortiz or uh, uh, when he's you know
1: legging it out for a second and exactly. out by 44 feet yeah or or uh, or the Kevin who can forget the Titanic Kevin Greg confrontation yeah <laughs>
0: Speaking of pitchers who can only do one thing well, Kevin Gregg, pitch inside to David Ortiz. Hot take. Okay.
1: Hot take. You get heard it here first. The retirement tour is going to become a thing we have to deal with every year, and I'm already fucking sick of it. Ooh. I hate it so much. I was okay <laughs> with the Mariano Rivera retirement tour. I don't know why. That one felt okay. The Derek (laughs) Jeter retirement tour, pretty annoying. The David Ortiz retirement tour is going to be excruciating. And right now, for the first time ever, we're seeing the NBA's equivalent of a retirement tour where Kobe Bryant is running out every, every night and going four for 19, totally tanking the Lakers' ability to play competitive basketball and actually seriously hurting the development of a bunch of young players because he won't pass the ball. This is going to become a theme. This is going to become a thing we have to deal with every year. And it's going to become, much like the Hall of Fame discussion, an incredibly annoying debate about who is, is or is not deserving of a retirement tour thing. So thanks, Jeter. You fuck. But uh, <laughs> that, is a, that is a very hot take, Smith. I am sweating.
0: Uh, Alan, you say that like Kobe Bryant didn't write a poem.
1: Oh, he wrote a to poem. To announce his it's, retirement. It's a tour. lovely poem. If you've watched him play basketball in the last two years.
0: Which, in my defense, I haven't.
1: <laughs> you would see that the the poem um has been on ice for too long. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> I I I think that, that that great players are um uh you know. I, I want them to be honored for their their achievements. And I think that sort of like a final, you know, couple of games or the last game that Jeter plays at Yankees, today, I think that's really exciting. I don't think we needed 162 games to say goodbye to Derek Jeter. I don't think we needed 65 to say goodbye to Kobe Bryant. Tim Duncan, the... Greatest basketball player currently playing the game, and I would argue, like, one of the top five basketball players of all time. At some point, he's just going to go to the Virgin Islands and not come back. We're never going to hear anything else from him. You're going to hear, like, a one line AP press thing that he decided to retire, and that's it. The Tim Duncan era will be over, and that's fine. Like, that's fine. That's all he wants. How much has been
0: made in the popular basketball press of the fact that Tim Duncan is an incredibly successful basketball player whose last name is Duncan.
1: (laughs) Not all that much, actually. that's the problem. No, but it's not because he's a very low-key dude. He's also never been uh, uh, approached for a very obvious merchandising opportunity with Dunkin' Donuts, which just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: It's inexcusable. (laughs) This is why I don't watch basketball.
1: (laughs) Anyway, I'm against retirement tours.
0: All right, there's one other there's one other item I'd like to go over with you, Smith. Okay. Actually, two. Uh one is very short, one will take a mi- a minute or two to discuss. Uh the first one is I was on the phone with our our mutual acquaintance uh Ben Mastin, uh-huh. recently. Uh-huh. Why did I just call Ben a, an acquaintance? That was <laughs> weird. I was on the phone with our mutual Hi, friend Ben, <laughs> ben Maston recently. Um you know you know what it is, it was that's a case of me as I sometimes do using unnecessarily florid language. You? No. <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about. I was on the phone with our my my boon companion Ben Maston. Oops, did it again. And uh I said How so, was our bosom compatriot <laughs> Maston? Uh my my true blue chum. Um I said something came out of my mouth in conversation with him that I think I said would have worked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I expectorated a phrase that uh, I I think encapsulated something that I have been unable to express previously about why the winter meetings are so maddening. Okay. And this is, in a weird way, a defense of my potentially batshit comments about trading for <laughs> Shelby Miller, Freddie Freeman,
1: and Nick Marcakis. Nick Marcakis. Okay.
0: Which is that the winter meetings make me realize that I don't actually know very much about baseball. Ah. I don't actually know very much about how a baseball team is run. Interesting. Because invariably, the storylines that emerge from the winter meetings don't make a lot of sense to us lay commentators. For example... We have sat here and marveled left and right at the idiocy of the Zach Greinke and David Price contracts. And yet, those are the kind of contracts that, that get signed. Not admittedly, those contracts weren't signed at the winter meetings, but they are a product of the frenzied winter meetings run-up. You see uh, trades that don't make sense on paper. We, I, here's one of the things that I think is is endemic to independent baseball commentators such as ourselves is that we often think, and this is going to be an anecdotal statement, but I think the facts would bear it out, we often think when we're speculating about trades that the most likely scenario is for Team A to send Major League talent to Team B in exchange for Major League talent. When in fact, that is not often what happens. Usually, star quality or starter level Major League talent goes to Team A in exchange for Minor League talent from Team B.
1: Or even just salary relief.
0: That is the shape that most trades take, which is why I don't think it's that insane on my part for me to speculate about the trade with the Braves that I speculated about earlier. And this is the kind of thing that we see regularly at the winter meetings, and it confounds our basic sense that we know our team inside and out and understand it on a fundamental level, because we realize that, in fact, We do not.
1: I would um, present an alternative theory. Sure. Which goes with the horrifying realization I had when I turned 17 and realized that uh, I was one year away from being uh, in the eyes of the law and society an adult and still felt completely unprepared to assume any part of that mantle. And I bring that up because I think – very many of us a lot of the time would like to imagine that the adults are in charge and that they have some semblance of what the hell is going on. Um, But I think the further we get into this crazy uh, experience that we call life, the more I am realizing that that is not in fact the case. There isn't anybody who knows what the hell is going on and most people are making terrible decisions most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I would extend that to the winter meetings because it seems to me that a lot of things that come out of the winter meetings are not, in fact, the deeply researched, thought out, um, spreadsheeted, double checked, triplicated, uh, brilliant moves that are... Uh, we don't happen to understand them because we can't see the salary relief. I think that they're things that happen because someone wants to prove that they have some leverage over somebody else. Somebody may have just slept with someone else's girlfriend. Uh, someone might not have had the right brand of coffee in their in their Starbucks mug that morning. <laughs> I think that the whole thing is much more. I mean, some people might be just trying to save their job and making a splashy move because they think that's what their owner, some you know, ninety-two year old about to two feet in the grave. Um, billionaire who, who
0: runs Little Caesars Pizza
1: might want them to do. I mean, it, it it seems like the 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 difference is that there are one or two franchises making the moves that you suggest, and everybody else seems to be like playing tiddlywinks in the corner and occasionally taking weird swings at things that don't actually have any logical sense. So. I think, I think that probably the reality is somewhere between the two things that we're mapping here. But I don't think you can underestimate the fact that these are all people who don't really know what's going on and everyone is trying to guess at where the market's going to settle and what these people may be worth. And if you look at like today, Nike announced that um, they've signed LeBron James to a lifetime contract. Like the Scientologists. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So they now own LeBron's image and likeness forever. How the what? Who you can't? Who knew you could do that? This is the first time that's ever happened. That's a very strange thing. That's very weird. It makes me very uncomfortable. But it also just suggests that like we're kind of making this up. Like. LeBron sat down with his people, and they're like, look, either we could re-sign a $300 million contract in 2019, or you could just sign this bottom line, and we'll just pay you more money than God. (laughs) Forever. Yeah. That's what they said. They said, we're going to pay you more money than you can use forever. Yep. That doesn't – that suggests to me that – There were a bunch of executives sitting around being like, how can we get on LeBron's jock a little bit harder than we're currently on it? I know. Let's make up a contract. (laughs) Right? That's true. That's true. doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, and it gets at this thing that— What if LeBron James—what if LeBron James—I hope this does not happen. He's a generational athlete. He's absolutely amazing. What if he pops an ACL tomorrow and is never good at basketball again? They have a lifetime contract with that man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's a good thing he is such a charming character actor.
1: <laughs> ah, that's true. Did you see Trainwreck? I loved it. Go see Trainwreck. That's our that's the takeaway from this podcast Baltimoreans. Some it's conversation
0: in the Hollywood literati that uh, Trainwreck might be a dark horse Oscar candidate.
1: See, I think more comedies should be Oscar nominations.
0: Yeah, but I'm going to boycott it until John Goodman gets one for Big Lebowski retroactively wow so i'm gonna be (laughs) that is a strong stance i'm gonna be nursing that fantasy drink for a while how many retroactive oscars have been handed out to date yeah well look you just sat here (laughs) and said that executives in major entertainment companies are allowed to make things up would you accept
1: a lifetime achievement award me personally (laughs) if the Academy came to you and offered you a lifetime achievement award would you turn it down (laughs) frankly Smith I think
0: my best days are ahead of me (laughs) uh, Since we've been talking about uh, the rationality of of Major League Baseball front offices with um, a recommendation. Yeah. And that recommendation is this. This may be a podcast that many of you are already listening to. But if you're not, please check out, if you like this show, you're going to like this other show probably better. (laughs) (laughs) It's called Edge of Sports. And it's hosted by a guy named Dave Zirin, who writes normally for, among other places, The Nation. Which is, um, conservatively speaking, which is <laughs> never, ironic to say. <laughs> never said.
1: Um, a left-leaning publication. <laughs> yeah, the oldest uh, continuously published magic magazine in the United States of America. And Dave's show is is really
0: spectacular because if you enjoy the parts of Baltimoreans where we try to blend the political issues that confront the nation with the way that those things end up getting manifest in sport. He is doing that exclusively on his show, but- And successfully. (laughs) And successfully, and with a level of access that uh, a humble bedroom publication like our own cannot really aspire to. Case in point, on his second to most recent episode, he- did a I'm going to say it's like a 35 minute interview with John Angelos, who is Peter Angelos's son, who, as many of you will recall, said some strikingly progressive or I would like to think right minded things about the protests in Baltimore in the wake of Freddie Gray's death this past summer, um, of a kind that not only were no other sports owners saying. But no other people of stature in the world, in the United States, were saying the kinds of things that he was saying as eloquently as he was saying them with regard to structural inequalities in the criminal justice system and the capitalist system, (laughs) the wages of poverty all of the issues that have now started to become fodder for discussion, at least on the Democratic side of things, as the presidential campaign heats up. Uh, John Angelos was one of the first people to publicly articulate those things really, really well. And so Dave sits down with him for this interview, and you're thinking that maybe John Angelos will just parrot back those talking points and say that he doesn't want to expand on it much more. But no, he actually continues to articulate a worldview that runs counter to the idea of operating a hundreds-of-million-dollar for-profit corporation of the kind that he sits in the front office of, a.k.a. the Baltimore Orioles. And it's quite fascinating. It's startling at every turn. And I will go ahead and say that it made me reconsider my feelings about the entire experience of being an Orioles fan. Because the idea that somebody like that is on the inside changes my assumptions about the way decisions are made by the Orioles as a team and indeed about what the actual importance of the Orioles is as an entity in not just in Baltimore but in professional sports.
1: I think that... um The exciting thing for me was that the interview within the first five minutes totally disabused me of the notion that it could have been somebody else who wrote that statement, someone else who was controlling his Twitter feed. Um, It it was very clear, like Sam was saying, that the person that John Angelos is, is a thoughtful, (laughs) considerate human being who has done a lot of sort of, I think, fairly deep thinking about his own place and his team's organization's place in a larger ecosystem of Baltimore and the U S and I just want to echo what you just said is that I came away with it. I came away from it feeling like <clears throat> if that's the kind of person who is controlling this organization, then it doesn't make up for the CEO of Walmart and George Steinbrenner and the sort of laundry list of douche hats who have enough money to be able to own a professional sports franchise team. But it does make me hopeful that uh, there is a place for professional sports even without those people, which is to say, like, even without people who have made so much money that they can bid a billion dollars for the Clippers, we might still have a reason to keep other parts of this institution that I and you and we, Baltimoreans, value so very much. And that was like, as someone who has been, both of us have been peering into the abyss of, really questioning why sport, at least why professional sports the way we do it in this country, that was a pretty valuable thing for for me to experience. So The Edge of Sports, uh, Dave Zarin, um, download it, check it out. I think that there has not been one of the 35 episodes that I've listened to that I haven't like really gotten a lot out of. So Peter Angelo, I mean, sorry, So, John Angelos is the second to most recent, but uh, if you go back and check out, I think, the third episode, um, which was Chuck D talking about the role of the black athlete in American culture for 45 minutes, that shit was awesome.
0: Most recent episode, he goes and talks to the head of the NFL Players Association about how to ethically stand up as a union representative and defend... Any number of people who have been guilty of domestic abuse uh, in the
1: NFL. So basically, all of the things that we allude to in stupid intros, Dave is doing in long, thoughtful, drawn out interviews with the actual people making the decisions.
0: And that'll do it for this episode <laughs> of Baltimore Ons, ladies and gentlemen. The show is produced as always by Sam Dingman and Alan Smith.
1: We are proud Sister Wife Podcasts of a whole bunch of things over at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Check us out. Subscribe
0: to us on iTunes. Leave us a comment, maybe a little review. And also, uh, a programming note, Uh, Alan Smith and I have recently come to the exciting but also uh, difficult realization that we can't get this show out as reliably as we want to without a goddamn schedule.
1: Y'all are shocked to hear that, I'm sure.
0: So, going forward, uh, at least for the time being, we're going to move to putting out two shows a month. We'll be coming to you bi-weekly, so uh, hopefully your Baltimore on feeds, if you have not let them lie fallow for too long, will start to spring back to life in a, a more reliable way here over the next couple of weeks. Music on the show, ladies and gentlemen, our theme song written and performed by Marshall York. Between segments, the music of Birdland. I'm sorry, the music of Weather Report, the song Birdland. Behind my voice right now, kicking my heart around, by the Black Crows.
1: Sam. Yes, sir. What would you call Henry Arudia if he was the um, underhistorically valued female companion to the gentleman who explored the deep recesses of the American wilderness
0: Henry Saakajuwiya rudia boom boom
1: Saakarudia
0: I think you could go either way okay we'll leave it to you friends <laughs> good night For the land.